Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis, and Blake Murphy. So, yeah, we're going to go another year without a Canadian Stanley Cup winner as uh, the Oilers also dismissed yesterday in Game 6 to the Vegas Golden Knights. So they win a couple more games than the Toronto Maple Leafs in the postseason. Um, they, they, they played a, a strong final month or so of the regular season, but they were an underdog against a division winner. I mean, I, I'm going to ask our, our next guest uh, to compare the two postseason failures, Leafs, so you're not buying it? I mean, they're both out in the second round. You can split the hairs and color the series or how long they went differently. They're both teams in an absolute must-win-now mode with a couple of very, very elite players in the league, and they haven't gotten the job done year over year. And I know the Oilers have had a little more success in terms of lengthy runs. They've also not made the playoffs a couple times. Uh, Both of these franchises are at risk of having squandered pairings of Really terrific players. Yeah, so the the count is now four postseason series victories for Connor McDavid to one for Austin Matthews. But as you mentioned, two seasons out of the playoffs entirely for Connor McDavid. Let's talk to uh, Frank Sarvelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Happy Monday to you, Frank. Oh, happy Monday to you. Yeah. How's it going? Are you guys surviving or what? No, we're doing it. We're thriving. Um, no, it was uh, an interesting day today. Couple yes, of, it was. Yeah, well, I would, like honestly, I'm still a little bit trying to like come to grips with what we heard today. Okay, so what part of it? I don't think anyone was really expecting Kyle Dubas to say what he said, which was sort of at the very tail end of the press conference. And the question was, "Are you ready to you know commit again to the Leafs?" And he kind of hedged. Yeah. Because here's, I'll just like give you a quick understanding of of what I believe and and know to be true, which is the Toronto Maple Leafs made overtures over this weekend to get a new deal together to bring him back. Like he knows at this point that the Toronto Maple Leafs want to have him back as general manager. Like mm. there's no, I don't think there's any shock there. Now I don't think that. I certainly wasn't expecting him to say today. I'm not sure. And he seemed to get emotional. I'm not sure about, you know, I need to ask my family. And I guess where I come in kind of surprised is like, this isn't new. Like whether it was after round two or after the Stanley cup final or whenever it was going to be working into the final year of his deal. Like everyone knew that this conversation would have to come up at some point. So to think that like Kyle Dubas and Mrs. Dubas have not been having any sort of conversation about this leading up to this, I just find to be like surprising. Huh, I, and and that this idea of like, well, we, and then it was Toronto or nowhere, like that seemed to put to bed any of the speculation that's been out there about other openings, which I think has been wildly sort of uh, tinfoil hat-ish anyway. But... It, it was it was really interesting. Yeah, Frank, I, I can understand a little bit of even though you've known this was coming uh, and you knew this decision would, would have to take place at some point, I, I can 
respect wanting to take some time still because you know when you're in the thick of it day to day like you maybe you didn't have the emotional or mental capacity or the time to sit down and, and really hammer out what they want their future to look like um so i can understand that element of it but the fact that yeah to to your larger point that there was uncertainty on his side even though as, as you're you're telling us here there were offers made over the weekend um what do you make then of the wrinkle to this that brendan shanahan is supposed to talk to people later this week. Um, does that to you tell you that, you know, maybe those MLSE offers have a, a deadline on them because after which they, they've got to move in a different direction or are they just, you know, playing the optimist that that's something will get done a little later this week. What do you make a, of that element of it? I, I don't, I don't know if they're connected. Honestly, I would think that if he's then speaking to the media and that's the plan that, he would hope to have clarity by then. And I think in a perfect world might have even had some clarity already. Uh-huh. And I don't think it's like a financial wrangling. Like, I don't think yeah. this is a, a ploy or play by Kyle Dubas to squeeze more money out of MLSE. Because if, if you take his words at face value today, which I think you should, given the emotion that he showed, whether it's, Three million. I, I think he was making two and a half. Whether it's four million or five million, whatever the number ends up being, that's that's he's getting paid per year. Like I would have to think if it's really this stressful and it's been difficult on his family that whatever number leads off the the top of that sheet doesn't really change the dynamic for you. Yeah. Like Kyle Dubas doesn't strike me as someone that is you know chomping at the bit to get every last dollar. No, uh, I'm with you. So then what what is like what is I guess what I'm what I'm left with is what's the play? Like what's the plan and and when will you know? Yeah. And and maybe it's just a frank discussion and hey, do we want to do this for another half decade or a half decade plus and is there a better way to manage? I I don't know. But I do know, Frank, that I, I it's interesting to hear you say that the Maple Leafs offered him a contract extension over the weekend. I do know. That- I would say, oh, I would say overtures. Like they know, yeah. like he knows now that they'd like to have him back. Like there's yeah. no, it's not like, well, do they want me? Do they not? What's going on? Like there, I don't, there's nothing to do with that. And I don't think there's any lack of clarity. That's okay. And I think that's the right call, honestly. Um, and, and listen, Kyle Dubas would admit that everything hasn't been perfect, um, but they've, you know, they've, they've been in it to win it each of the, the last seven years. Plus, if you're looking for a new GM right now with the decisions that are upcoming, Frank, with the deadline of July 1st for a number of these guys whose no-move clause kicks in and the potential extension for the maybe the best player in the history of the franchise, like that does sound like kind of a nightmare going out in, and trying to find a GM who might want his own coach and like trying to juggle a million different balls here where the next half decade plus of the franchise are dependent on it. Well, not only that, but the ability to potentially re-sign your key marquee franchise player is also maybe tied to who's managing the team. Right. Not to put like too fine of a point on it. Cause I don't think there's any absolutes here, but I think the Toronto Maple Leafs, potentiality of keeping Austin Matthews for the long haul or for the foreseeable future with an extension is a lot easier. The chances are a lot better with Kyle Dubas being the guy on the other end of the signature page. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I, I am of the opinion that, yeah, I, eventually that 
he is going to re-sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs and be the general manager. Because he did, like, if you were truly, like, I, I also, like you, believe that the conversation has already been had between he and his family about the likelihood of him returning. And he, like, he was he was having discussions about what he might do this upcoming offseason going into next year where his brain is already kind of there. So I think that's happening. I also think it's it's more likely now than ever before that he makes a big seismic trade and one of the big core four pieces. I don't think it's Austin Matthews. We know it's not John Tavares. I think William Nylander is too valuable to move considering the price tag that he's under. I mean, that but is also do a big raise. Who's also due a big raise, same same deal as as Austin Matthews as far as extension eligible on on July first, but also I mean I guess his no trade clause isn't as as uh, prohibitive because it's only a ten team no trade uh, clause, but uh, yeah, it, it makes him more difficult to move after July first. What about Mitch Marner? Like, what if the Toronto Maple Leafs decide to move off of Mitch Marner? They have to do it before July first when he has a no trade clause and has a a couple years left on his deal at at almost 11 million bucks. Like what is the trade market for a guy who is a lock for a hundred points a season? Seemingly it's rich and it's deep and it's exciting. And it's all those things that you think it might be even with the cap hit. Like there's only a select handful of players on the planet that can do what Mitch Marner does. And honestly, like, Outside of John Tavares, I think the conversation is the same with all the other members that are in that, you know, core three, so to speak. Even Matthews? Yeah, I do. Like, of course. Um, yeah, the interest would be off the charts. Oh, yeah, the interest for sure. But yeah, the the potential of, of Austin Matthews being... I mean, I guess if, if contract discussions before July 1st go haywire, like if, if the Maple Leafs aren't certain that they're getting him under contract, I mean... Is that something you envision them exploring, the potential of trading Austin Matthews? I, I don't think there's a blank check, if that's your question. Like, it's, is it can you just ask for whatever you want and sign a new max deal and break the bank? Like, no, I, I don't think that's a realistic ask. And I, I've said this before, especially based on, you know, for, for mere mortals, a 40-goal season was sort of very um pedestrian for him to follow it up with a meandering playoff that had an incredible high in the comeback against Tampa but also some you know serious and and real lows um against the Florida Panthers without registering a goal to me that's like Austin Matthews is without a doubt the linchpin of whatever happens this summer for the Leafs like first, the first question we already talked about, which is who's going to be managing this team and who's he going to be having and engaging in the negotiation and conversation with? What's the plan and what's the outlook? What are the other pieces that are going to be surrounding him? I don't think it's any secret that playing with Mitch Marner um, is when you've seen Austin Matthews at his best and when his game has waned at times, it, it hasn't been with, with Mitch Marner. And that's going to be another significant part of the calculus and equation. And then the next and and final part, which some may say is the easy part, I would say, you know, it depends, is the number. Like, where does that number come in? And how far north of it it is, is what he, you know, compared to what he makes right now, 
And what is the threshold that the Toronto Maple Leafs are comfortable with? Because you could already make the argument, and again, it depends on who's coming back and who isn't, but that the Leafs are improperly balanced as it is. And we don't know what the cap's going up by this summer yet, and we also don't know, um, you know, sort of the range of, of increases over these next, you know, four years or whenever the contract, the meat of the contract is going to be. So it can always get, more reasonable, but the Leafs have already been burned on that once with a flat cap environment. But there is a ceiling. Like, I, I don't think you're talking 15 million bucks a year and everyone just, you know, sort of shrugs and is like, yep, okay, here, we'll print it out for you. Like, I just, I don't, I don't think that's in the realm of possibility. And I'd be really curious to get his thoughts on what that's like sort of after having, you know, gotten the, the, incredible precedent setting second contract as to like what he thinks the best way to build a team around that is given that there's a finite space of a salary cap. So let's, let's just for the the sake of throwing uh, a round number out there, eight years, a hundred million. It's the Connor McDavid deal. The cap has only gone up by 4 million since Connor McDavid's eight year to a hundred million dollar deal kicked in. So the, the economic environment is not that much different. You think, do you think Matthews box at that and says, no, the cap's going up and it's gone up since then. And I want a heart. Um, that's not enough. Or do you think that's uh, like a reasonable number for, for discussions to, to kind of circle around? I, I can't put myself in his shoes. So I don't want to speak on behalf of him and his camp. And, and I, you know, it's hard to speculate and, and, break out a crystal ball, but I would say that the th- the biggest thing that I balk at in terms of your hypothetical is the term. Like, I just don't see Austin Matthews getting locked into a term that long, knowing that he could then, as the cap continues to increase further, potentially hit on a giant fourth contract. Like, I think that's well within his sights that I would guess that the next deal is another four or five year deal that puts him in position to cash in again. I mean, shoot, I think that makes things easier, honestly, because then if you're the Leafs, you know, the the longer term risk is kind of handled there about like, well, what if there's a decline or an injury or something like that into his early 30s? I, I know, you know, you run the risk of then having to pay him even more later, but ostensibly in that case, the cap's gone up and, and things like that. So, I mean, I you guess... You worry about that when you get to it. Yeah, like. exactly. And I guess the... The tough point would be if you offer eight one hundred, he says, "No, I want shorter term, but I need more annual because yeah, I, I want still want to lock I in want as much." Four times fifteen, and then all of a sudden you're going, "Oof, yeah." Well, that's that's problematic. Yeah, and and I, I haven't seen any impetus by him to take less. This is a guy that yeah wanted to get paid um, before he was uh, NHL uh, draft eligible. Like went overseas <laughs> and, and got paid and. Yeah, he, he maximized. And took a contract that's it's still unprecedented. Yeah, no, I, I it just I I know everybody wants to 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 put the rose colored glasses on and say, well, you know, he, he played with Cali Yarncroft. Wouldn't he like to play with a better player than that? And maybe taking a million bucks less. Like it's just like, what indication do we have, Frank, that that this is None. a guy that would do that? None. And and I would say too, like, um. I don't know what that means to him, if anything, of being a precedent setter or a record setter or doing things a little bit differently. Um, But, you know, even just looking at some of the next contracts for guys that haven't 
gotten paid in that manner. Like, so again, I know there's a difference between center and wing, but like, look at the new contract that David Pasternak signed 11 to five. Like that's mm-hmm. still under the number that Matthews is already at <laughs> Nathan McKinnon, 12, six, he goes from six, three to 12, six doubles his pay. So it speaks to the, you know, how much less Pasternak and McKinnon both earned on their second contracts compared to the amount that Matthews has already pocketed. Yeah. And then you look at McKinnon as a center and the direct comparables. And yes, he just hit a hundred points for the first time in his career. But when you talk about overall impact of game, does like how far off is Matthews from McKinnon, if not McKinnon ahead? Yeah. No, I mean the argument. And then, and then you look at Pasternak again, a winger, but a play driving winger. Yeah. And someone that his numbers, I think, over the last four or five years are kind of just on par with Matthews. So where is like where's the case if you're in his camp to say we want more? Mm-hmm. Than- I don't. I personally don't see it. And if that's the situation that the Leafs are backing themselves into having a player that has a, an amount of leverage that no one's really ever had before. I don't know what you do. No, I mean, if he wants 20%, which is what, like, he's almost 16 million. I mean, I, I there's also no indication that he would do this. But, like, if he does, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know what they do. Um, we're not at that that spot yet. Um, I mean, there's also the possibility of not only the Toronto Maple Leafs losing Kyle Dubas because he's decided that he's going to take some time off. They might lose his right-hand man. Brandon Pridham is interviewing for the the Flames job. Like, how likely a landing spot is that for him? And if it's not there, like, it seems like he's the next guy to go. Don't have any clarity yet. I think the Leafs are, I guess, preparing for the possibility. Um, I reported this morning that it was, you know, they were pursuing uh, permission to speak to him. So I don't even know how far along in the process they are or would be. I think the Flames have really kind of just gotten into the next phase, which is they've got a list, and now they're beginning the interview process. And obviously the the Leafs were still playing, so that's part of it. But I think if he were to leave, uh, it would be a significant loss. And if not, and if Kyle Dubas decides to take a step back and take some family time and take the year off, then I would imagine that he would sort of be the ready in-house candidate to then just take over. Yeah, that that would make sense to me. Um, You know, I I guess that's a a scenario where MLSE has decided or is is close to deciding, yeah, we we believe in this and we believe in the plan. And like you said, uh, had made overtures to Kyle Dubas. But you better get that sorted out before you grant permission. Yeah. Because I think the last thing you want to do is be out of both guys. Absolutely. And this is, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how, how it works in the NHL compared to the NBA. The 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 unwritten rule or the rule of thumb is like, well, you, you kind of always have to grant permission if it's for a promotion. Yeah. Because otherwise, no one's going to want to work for you in anything but the, the top spots in the future. But I guess, yeah, if you if you hit pause on the, on the permission, hey, uh, we can't give you permission because yeah. he might be our GM in 72 hours. Well, this, th- there's precedent with this organization, though, isn't there, Frank? I mean, didn't the, the Leafs stop the avalanche from going after Kyle Dubas? They did, and I think that was actually a huge sticking point for a number of years, you know, specifically with Kyle Dubas, that they did sort of block him from a a significant opportunity that 
might have to this point uh, prevented him from getting his name on the Stanley Cup. And there's precedent with other teams in other markets. You know, just this spring alone, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks not granting permission to assistant GM or associate GM Jeff Greenberg. Mm. And I I believe, um, you know, there's... There's other stuff going on with other teams where permission just has it's it's possible like it happens somewhat regularly um, to think that that wouldn't be the case, which is why I framed what I did the way I did. Yeah, well, you're a, you're a pro and you you know what you're doing. Um, it's just it's wild to me that you I mean, you can block. I, I understand we all have contracts and things like that. But uh, I, I like the rule of thumb that if you're getting a promotion, you should be free to interview around. So Pridham, say, say Dubas is out. Pridham is the stability choice and, and not just a choice for the sake of stability. By all accounts, he's you know, a, a GM in waiting regardless. But does that play for stability uh, extend to the head coach position? Sheldon Keefe has a year left on his deal. Uh, he's been attached to Dubas from way back when. Does someone new in charge or even if Dubas is back... Um, you know, is there a vote of confidence in Keefe within that vote for stability and consistency, or is he uh, a separate case to be evaluated? I don't know. And I would say, first off, I still think the biggest likelihood is that Kyle Dubas comes back. Like, I still think that's the case. So to answer your hypothetical in the proper, um, with the proper disclaimer, I think one of the things that I took away from this press conference today was that it's pretty clear to me and everyone else watching that Sheldon Keefe is in the crosshairs Mm -hmm. and that what you heard from Kyle Dubas speaking about the adjustments that he liked that Sheldon Keefe made from series to series, which um, I'm not sure personally enough of them were made in the second round um, to warrant that type of um, praise. You know, to me, you only hear a GM give those types of, of remarks when he knows that his, you know, close friend and, and obviously someone that he really believes in um, might be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think there's a number of things to kind of unpack from going back to the very beginning of our conversation, this press conference. How much of this, I don't think it's, you know, financial or leverage related, I'm not sure what the connection is here with Sheldon Keefe and that part of the decision-making process. Um, And then, you know, as it relates to Kyle Dubas and making his ultimate decision. And then the other part of it, which like hasn't really been talked about is where does Brendan Shanahan fit in all of this? Yeah. And I think the truth is that he's been involved in a lot of other MLSE things other than just hockey, meaning there's a whole slate of business-type responsibilities that have come with it, does he sort of fade out into that and less of a hockey operations decision-maker role, the ultimate uh, voice of power, does that does that become a thing? Like, Is that also part of this? I think that's been a previous sticking point from you know the people that I've spoken to, and I don't I, I just what how does that factor or weigh into all of this? Boy, uh it's gonna be an interesting offseason for this hockey team. It already is. <laughs> it's already started today. Uh Frank, thanks for uh, helping us out today. Have a good one, guys. All right, you too. Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. All right. So Frank has some sources 
to tell him that the Leafs already made intimations towards Kyle Dubas over the weekend that they want him back. So, like, Kyle Dubas goes into this media availability today not having any question. And it is, he did speak in that way, right? Like, he didn't say, like, hey, it's up to them to see if they want. Like, he basically, it's like, it's up to me, which, I don't know. I just kind of took that as a guy that was very confident in what he had done over the last half decade. But, no, it does, and Frank is on his stuff, um, seem as though the Toronto Maple Leafs have already made the decision and again, I think it's the correct one that that's our guy if he wants to come back. If he doesn't, I would say that the Brandon Pridham, like pivoting to the guy that's been not just his right-hand man, like Mr. Salary Cap. Like every time you see the Maple Leafs do something incredible with the salary cap as far as LTIR or, or whatever, the manipulating down to the dollar to get Matthew Nyes under contract, which turned out to be uh, valuable. He was kind of missed uh, during the, the Panthers series. That's Brandon Pridham. Pivoting to that guy seems like it makes a world of sense. So you're saying Brandon Pridham's going to need a cap guy underneath? <laughs> yeah, then who's his cap guy? I mean, the guy who was, I don't know, the the intern. He gets bumped up to cap guy. I don't know how that works, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he'll be just fine. No, it makes sense to me. And I, I actually think having heard Frank say that, that, that MLSE had made overtures and let Dubas know that um, – you know, they, they would like to bring him back. That colors some of Dubas's comments that we had er- discussed earlier in, in a bit of a, not different light, but I, I understand even more now, especially the stuff about, well, it won't be with another team because yeah. now we, now knowing that we don't have to worry about the leverage kind of stuff. No. It, it's uh, he knows the number. Yeah. And even if he, you know, like it, Frank it, said, yeah. even if, if he's not quibbling on the dollar, he knows like, okay, they want me to stay. So this is a decision now of, do I want to stay in, like, do I want to stay in the role or do I need to take a step back? It's not, am I choosing between A, B, C, and D? No, um, and it's it's obviously, like, it's it's not, we're not talking about athlete-type money here. Like, it's huge money, and it's life-changing money to any of us, but, yeah, like, when we're like talking, <laughs> yeah, like, we're talking about, what, 25 million bucks, five times five for, for Kyle Dubas, it's, uh, and where there's no salary cap, right? It's just money, that MLSE is raking in and sure they'd like to rake in more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not earth shattering to that organization to be doling it out. Like it doesn't sound like we're talking about money here. No, it, it doesn't sound that way. And like, like I, I think Kyle, I mean, who knows, maybe he's just too like open and, and honest person to have done this. But if, if it were a money thing, I would have handled my media availability a little differently today. Mm-hmm. Like my messaging would have been, different and it would have been yeah i don't know you know i I have a potential future here but there are other potential futures for me Um, you're a good businessman that's people say that about you i don't i mean it it would be nice to use that degree once (laughs) (laughs) uh lastly the austin matthews thing it's yeah so i can make an intellectual argument that the nathan mckinnon austin matthews things they're non-comparables one Nathan McKinnon was like the most underpaid player in hockey for the entirety of that deal that he signed before the one that paid him 12.6 a year. And Austin Matthews has never been, I mean, he's been slightly, under, but like he's making plenty, right? He's, he's never been a pauper here. Uh, and even back in the Lou Lamorello days when there was like some discussion about, hey, Lou's holding firm on all the, the bonuses. And yeah, he's like, no, I want all those. And they're like, okay. Yeah, here's all your bonuses. It's and going back to before he was drafted again, like doing something that we haven't seen since. I don't believe for a number one overall pick to I mean, go he, play he in did the NBA lockout thing, the Brandon Jennings yeah. thing that's now become a more regular path in the NBA. Um, I mean, G League Ignite is there for that. It, yeah. It's honestly the 
NCAA introducing NIL deals is in at least, I mean, it's the right thing to do, yeah. um, but also it's in response to losing players to other opportunities that pay money. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can't, you absolutely cannot fault anyone for getting theirs. You are mm-hmm. worth it because the collective bargaining agreement says you can get that much and some team is willing to pay you for it. Um, you know, the questions then become, I mean, there's some element of cap projection and some element of roster building and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. There are some teams that, you know, it, I, I've been thinking a lot lately about the San Antonio Spurs dynasty and how they were able to sustain it for so long and win so many championships over a 15 year runway. And yeah, they had the horseshoe of all horseshoes that the year David Robinson got yeah, hurt, they got Tim out. Duncan. That was good. Like, and sure, they deserve credit for it. And like Kawhi Leonard was available at 15. Yeah. Um, and they happened to trade George Hill for that pick. And Kawhi was like, there are a number of things they executed well, but a big part of it was also like you compare it to the Warriors era or something like that, or even the, the Celtics big three that was very, very short lived. All of the Spurs guys took discounts. Mm. They took up, and I'm not suggesting anyone should have to do that. Like Tom Brady and the Patriots did it too. But in a salary capped league, that's going to make a difference. Maybe it doesn't cost you this championship in this year, but in terms of sustainability over the long haul with the same core, um, we've seen that without that, like like the Warriors big three take up like 90% of the cap. And the NBA is convoluted in that you can go over the cap and everything like that. But it's very, very hard to sustain winning with that kind of a model, even in a sport like basketball where individuals have such an outsized impact. So um, I don't know. That's Maybe that's something Austin Matthews reflects on. Maybe it's not. It's certainly something that the Leafs front office reflects on and compares to other NHL teams and, yeah. and how their cap sheets are constructed because it's, uh, you know, the Leafs are an anomaly in that way. It's kind of like... Uh, I mean, it's the core four thing or whatever, like put like it's just a it's a really novel and difficult way to manage things. But also it's the only way to have four or five players that good. Yeah. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks notably won zero Stanley Cups. Unless you're the San Antonio Spurs, I should say. The the Blackhawks won zero Stanley Cups once uh, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves got paid their ten plus and this million is bucks. What I was saying earlier is like it's not fair and it's the it's a, a nearly impossible roster building challenge for a front office. But if you are the next team, if you are the Chicago Blackhawks of right now, or you are a, one of the teams that's trying to bottom out right now, if you get multiple. NHL ready talents and they're ready to contribute in meaningful ways on the rookie deals. You kind of got to strike now. It's something that I know we're going to talk about Jays in the next segment. That was kind of the story of the blue Jays off season or each successive off season as Vlad and Bo and guys like that get closer to being paid full freight. You're willing to pay your stars like stars, but once you do, there's less money for everything else mm-hmm. and everything at the margins has to hit. And the Leafs have transitioned into that era and the, the Jays are a little bit away from it still. Um, yeah. Well, tough, tough roster building summer. It, it is. Uh, the Blue Jays are not in their offseason. They're in the meat of it right now. And they're playing a division opponent, uh, the New York Yankees, after sweeping away Alex Anthopoulos' Atlanta Braves. We'll get to that in the next segment, we'll get to some of the NBA storylines that we keep alluding to that we haven't hit on, including where Nick Nurse might end up, and it might be with a former MVP. There's lots of places to choose from. Uh, it's coming up next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. 
big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Band Drive Time, Sports Center 59 the Band, Sports Center 360. It's Ben Ennis, it's Blake Murphy, it's Blue Jays baseball tonight. They got the, the sole focus now. And we turn the page, okay? We heard from Kyle Dubas, we heard from Sheldon Keefe, we heard from Austin Matthews, though there will be more Leaf discussion, I'm thinking, this summer. But as far as a sports-watching Toronto society, our lonely eyes turn to you, Toronto Blue Jays. And at the right time, too. They just oh, yeah. swept away the Atlanta Braves. Big bad Quadzilla on Friday. Could you imagine had the Leafs uh, been knocked out right at the start of that Red Sox series instead? <laughs> Would have been bad. Would, Would have been, been an ugly weekend here. <laughs> instead, they, they took care of Quadzilla because Chris Bassett is just better. Uh, although, did he start that game? That was a Saturday game. Um, and then, yeah, the old complete game shutout. Yeah, which is complete game. Hadn't been done since Marcus Stroman. Complete game shutout. Hadn't been done since Mark Burley. He flirted with a Maddox as well. I know he did. Um, it's it's it, listen, that performance was masterful, but it is kind of a sad state of uh, the state of Major League Baseball that holy cow, you have to go back. Six years to see the last complete game. Like you used to be. Look at Roy Halliday's. Yeah, but look at Roy Halliday's baseball reference page, and like we're, I do it pretty much daily. Me too. And look at like the number of complete games per season was up in the the high single digits each and every single year. I, I know we sound or I'm sounding old right now, but that's not ancient history. It just does not happen anymore, and it almost didn't happen in that game either. There have only been ten in the Major League Baseball season so far. Yeah, it's it's not so. Um, maybe let's start there then, because I talked about maybe it was the last time we we talked Blue Jays on Friday with Jeff Blair about hey, my biggest stumbling block when I think about this Blue Jays team being a World Series contender is like I went into the season thinking it had two top like ace potential pitchers at the top of their rotation and starters of Game One and Two of a postseason series, like you felt pretty good about Kevin Gossman and Alec Manoa and less so Manoa. And there's plenty of time to turn a season around as he gets to start tonight in the opener against the Yankees. But I mean, could Chris Bassett be that guy? Like that the stuff is not overwhelming, but he throws so many pitches and he's used the pitch clock to his advantage. And like the pitch com thing, calling his own game, like it's outside of the, the first start. And then what, like the first, inning of the second start it's been lights out for him pretty much i don't know can a guy like chris bassett get by with only alec manoa velocity yeah exactly uh no he's been awesome and and i think there's a real level of you know um pitching to his approach that that i really appreciate it makes for a fun watch and he's mixing in the seven different pitch types and everything like that and i actually think that there's a case to be made that chris bassett being roughly the same guy um there's even more ahead for him like he could be a little better this walk rate right now of four walks per nine and and about uh one in every nine batters are getting a free pass right now uh career high and way 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 ahead of the last couple years Mm. so if that comes down even uh maybe you see a, a little bit of you know maybe that's just what protects him from a little bit of regression that's due based on some of the underlying numbers like he's on the opposite end of the spectrum from kevin gosman in terms of like babip and stuff like that he's been a little fortunate mm-hmm. um unless you just like super believe in 
his ability to strand guys and I do. have weak contact. In I the do. But, well, the weak contact thing I do. The weak contact, but into gloves. Because Kevin Gosman allows contact into holes. Yeah. So if I, I just I'm priming you, if you believe in the Bassett plus, you got to believe in the Gosman uh, minus. Same well, kind of thing. I mean, we're seeing it again for, for Kevin Gosman's eyes. So maybe it's a repeatable yeah. skill. I, I just, I think what we've seen from Chris Bassett is awesome. And I, as bizarre as this sounds coming off that last game that he had, I don't know that we've seen the best version of him yet because he's struggling by his standards to keep it in the strike zone, you know, over, over entire plate appearances. Maybe that's a little bit of effectively wild though. Maybe. Yeah. And maybe an element of, Hey, my stuff wasn't that great in the year. So I'm being at the start of the year. I'm being a little extra cautious right now around the margins. Um, You know, you're not going to get by with a, two to one strikeout the walk ratio down in the eight strikeouts and four walks per nine range. You're like, you're not going to be a Cy Young candidate like that, but you could be a, a perfectly cromulent pitcher. And I think there's even more cromulence ahead. Okay. I, expecting more cromulence. Yes. Uh, I'm expecting more stolen bases from Whit Merrifield. Cromulence. Yeah. Whit Merrifield, we talked about it. This is a guy that's led the American League in stolen bases mm-hmm. before. And boy, howdy, did he steal some bases over the weekend? Five of them in the three game set against the Atlanta Braves and boy that seems like a pretty shrewd deal at the time now like whole, he had like a little slow start and lost like they wanted him to be the everyday guy when they went out and traded uh, for him from the Royals a guy that seemed like he was pretty well into his regression seasons and boy they, he didn't come out of it right away but then by the end of the season he was that guy and it's been basically since the word go this season that he's taken the everyday second base slash left fielder's job. And he's played some great defense in left field too. Like that, the, the trade seems good. It does. Um, Max Castillo, despite the triple a performance is back in the majors. Actually. Wow. Um, he threw, he's thrown seven innings for the Royals in the, in the last week or so. And, and only allowed three runs, even though uh, he has as many walks as strikeouts. It was, okay. was a disaster. Yeah. Not uh, afraid of Max Castillo, a, a disaster at triple a. I actually think Samad Taylor's a guy like, okay. especially in an environment where there's more base stealing. Like he's already stolen 17 bases at triple a this year mm-hmm. and is hitting 300 and, and is a plus defender in the outfield. Like I didn't I th- steal five against the best team in the national no, league. I, I'm East just over saying the weekend. that like, the the part of the deal that people might look back on at some point is like Samad Taylor is a guy. And I you make that trade a thousand times because if Samad Taylor's not helping you till 2024, you got to win in 2022 and 2023. Um, Merrifield's been awesome. And honestly, it's a good, uh, I think, a, a good harbinger for the entire team. They're up to seventh in the league in stolen bases. And the Cleveland Guardians are the only like high steel team with a better mm. stolen base success rate. Yeah, The Jays haven't been thrown out in forever. Only seven caught stealing on the year to 34 stolen bases as a team. And I think a bunch of those were concentrated very early in the year. There was, I think Bo had two Springer and Chapman each had one, like within the first week and a half of the season. Mm -hmm. So that's the good on the base paths. And and there was a lot of good in a three game series sweep over the best team in the national league East and was the best team actually in the national league going into that series. No more. Ain't no more. Yeah. They got to get more than two starting pitchers. Yeah, that's uh, and yeah, injuries. That's the thing. Blue Jays have benefited greatly from sure. the lack of injuries. But you also, they also get credit for that was the best offensive baseball coming in, and yep. they got more or less shut down for sure. Um, I don't think they're that incompetent in the outfield as they appear to be. Yesterday, that was a clown <laughs> show, and and yeah, after the first one, the Blue what do Jays. They think this is game two of the wild card in the American League. Yeah, this is. Um, 
a Blue Jays team that after the first time it happened should have been on high alert to run everything out of the box, but no fewer than three times did it happen where lack of effort on the base pass cost the Blue Jays. It cost George Springer the ability to to score, and it cost Bo Bichette being tossed out at second base, cost Vlad Jr. the ability to be on second base to lead off the bottom of the ninth inning. He eventually scores anyways, but... This is a team that, like, the number one talking point in spring training. How many conversations did we have to have about it and looking at the guys that departed via trade and wondering if they were part of the problem and this new, you know, dedicated to professionalism, Blue got rid of the homer jacket. They were going to be dedicated to being pros and not make these stupid mistakes, not shoot themselves in the foot. We've seen it. Yesterday wasn't like the one-off. There's been multiple instances. This has not been a totally clean baseball team. I have diagnosed the root cause. What is it? There are 162 baseball games in a season, and no one, like, sure, maybe Kevin Kiermaier's locked in 1,000% of the time, but these things just kind of happen, and it's it looks a certain way when they're sequenced on top of each other. But, like, if you spread those out over the course of last week, are you are you thinking about it that much? Do you re, do you realize? Oh, I think you're thinking about it more because it, especially if it happened during the Red Sox series where they were swept, like the fact that it came in a win, I think it's becoming. I'm just bringing it to, to light because I was thinking about it a lot, right? Yeah, and I I think it's a it's a real thing that you like you can't be good on the base path some of the time, right? And this is you know for all the things we talk about of you can't control you know, how the umpire is going to manage the strike zone. You maybe can't control your, the variance that's going to happen on batting average and balls and play, or like you, you hit a liner into a glove sometimes. Like those are the baseball things that it's baseball. Mm. That's going to happen sometimes. What you can control is your attention to detail and the fact that you are taking every extra base possible. You're well, not, not making outs that. on like, the base. And not, not just that. Like, it's like four times a game. You, can run like your hardest, like for 90 feet or like 180 yeah. feet. Like that's your, that's fine. Yeah. And I think this stuff is probably going <laughs> to ebb and flow over the, like I, I would guarantee there's a point in the season where we're going to talk uh, about this again. And then there'll be a part of the season where it looks like they're the best base running team ever. You just got to hope that I, it, but like three times in I the know. same. I know. Like how does game. the first instance not wake everyone up? No right? kidding. It's like you hit a fly ball, pop, pop up. There, it's not a hundred percent certainty that's getting caught today. And then the Vlad thing, like I did, I thought it was gone off the bat, but that's because Vlad acted like it was gone off the bat. Turns out that yeah, it's only a home run in Philadelphia, nowhere else. Like there, yeah. it's not like that was a fences kept it from being a home run, and like the old Rogers Center, it was out. It was, no, it was yeah. just not going to be. And out. look, it's awesome that they pulled that game out anyway. Yeah. Um, but I do think you know, I don't know how much film baseball teams do but like the film on this one you sit down today if you're john schneider like yeah we pulled that one out because danny jansen came through and brennan bell came through but yeah. like this this and this had us behind in that game in the bottom of the ninth with two outs in front of your moms <laughs> you you had the gall to play like that in front of your moms but i i do think it it helps highlight you know like hey we're playing a very good team here and if you do that stuff you're down in the bottom of the ninth and you need a borderline miracle comeback where there's a ball hit just far enough in the yeah. hole to not be able to throw to first right and belt infield singles don't happen a lot i wouldn't say. yeah although he had another one in that game the bunt base hit. yes who's ops plus is above league average buddy he's uh yeah when when he's made contact with the baseball good things have happened the the problem was one percent stretch that rate. continues to be a problem it's less so but it was like up around 50 percent. but yeah 
Brandon Belt making contact with baseball is very good. Um, it, and yeah, the discussion about his pending DFAing is well over. Yeah, I mean, he's he's now like, look, you'd obviously rather him put the ball in play for outs versus strikeout. Like more stuff can happen on a ball in play, a sack That's fly. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe the the double plays are something you are hesitant about or whatever. But for the most part, outs on balls in play are slightly preferable to strikeouts. So you prefer that, but he's been, you know, on average now what you expected him to be, which is a a slightly above league average bat in somewhat protected usage. Mm. And yeah, a decent enough first baseman. He's, he's now at the point where you can say he's fine and he's probably not a better than Cromulent. Yeah. Or, or exactly like his, his slash line for the year is better than Varsho's and Kirk's. Yep. Yeah. No, no, no. He's, he's, he's getting it done. He's playing first base. Uh, today is Vlad Jr. is uh, the DH. Uh, as I mentioned, Alec Manoa is starting today against Jimmy Cordero because the Yankees, again, one of these teams that have suffered multitude of injuries in the starting rotation. So many. So it, it's a bullpen day for the Yankees. The Blue Jays face back-to-back teams starting relievers. Should benefit them. Um, if Alec Manoa looks anything like what Alec Manoa should look like, um, back-to-back starts where he's had just three swings and misses. So this is not a guy that's a big strikeout guy, even when he's going good. But But that's... Yeah, and none of those were on the slider. In fact, thanks to our friend Chris Black for this stat, 63 straight sliders thrown from Alec Manoa without a swing and a miss. So think about that. Like, you just throw... Even if you know it's coming, like, to not swing and miss at any... Like, 63 consecutive... Seems impossible for a guy who's trying to get you to swing and, and miss. It's uh, I, I get it. He's not Mr. 20 strikeouts a game, but that that is concerning, to say the least. Extremely concerning. And like last year, it's not like he, you said. He's not a, an elite punch-out guy. Uh, he was he had a swinging strike rate. Like he would get guys to swing and miss on more than 11% of his pitches. Yeah. That's down to 8% yeah, this not- year. His strikeout rate is down. Like it, it's been dropped by like 25%. Over last year, like it's it's a it's a real problem. And if you don't have that slider, then I mean, it's not like he has an overpowering fastball to just be like, hey, I'm going to ditch a slider and I'm going to focus in here. He needs it's almost a pitching backwards and he needs the slider to be effective for the fastball to, to play off of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because he he doesn't have 96, 97 uh, with frequency. It, it's pretty concerning. And, you know, the velocity is a little bit of a concern. I still have it very much in my head that the last time he faced the Yankees, it was like unquestionably his best start of the season. And for whatever reason, Mano and the Yankees, I'm just like, yeah, it'll be, mm-hmm. it'll be fine. But yeah, we need to see some proof of concept with the slider, with the ability to miss bats and just like having some more competitive outings. Like this is the, the most troubling thing for me, I think is like last year when Manoa didn't have it, he was still a guy that you knew you were getting five, probably six, maybe even seven innings out of. And it's like, yeah, I'll walk four guys and I'll only strike out three, but I'm going to be a gamer and I, I'm going to keep the, the team with a real chance to win. You haven't really seen that. Only twice has he gone past five innings. No, this was a, a rotation that desperately needed the consistency that he brought every five days. Still kind of needs that because like, as great as Kevin Gossman's upside is, he's had like more than a couple clunkers this season. Chris Bassett and, is like the most reliable guy right now. And as we've talked about, this is uh, they're in a stretch of 17 consecutive game days and 30 games in 31 days. The way that short 
busted outings or what did you de- debilitating starts That's as right. you coined it don't, those don't forget those build over the course of a stretch like that where you know there's additional strain on the bullpen and then maybe the bullpen's less effective and then there's more pressure on the starters to go deep like these things can swell um so you do need to especially at the start of a, a long stretch like this you need a good turn through the rotation everyone else has done their part so far so it'd be nice to see uh, manoa get back on track today yeah it starts tonight uh time now for last call brought to you by bet rivers it's a whole new game let's start with that blue jays yankees affair at roger center and uh, the yankees with alec manoa on the hill against the bullpen, our favorites, minus 155 against the Yankees. We're paying plus 135. We got a game seven on Sportsnet tonight. Yes, the Toronto Maple Leafs may watch the Seattle Kraken advance to a conference championship. Uh, that could happen. They're underdogs, though. They're in Dallas where the stars are minus 205. Kraken plus 175. Uh, let's do some series prices for the conference champions Championships in uh, the NBA playoffs. Nuggets minus 152 to win the series against the Lakers. And it is the Celtics after dismissing Doc Rivers and the Sixers over the weekend. Minus 500 to beat the Miami Heat at plus 370. And that was Last Call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Want a crazy stat before we go? Yeah. Same four teams in the conference finals as the bubble championship of the NBA. Only 14 players total across the four teams still on the same team. Wow. That's quite a stat. Congratulations. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. This has been the uh, Fan Drive Time. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360.